Hey, welcome everyone to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, and this week we bring in Peter Spassoff. Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Donovan. You know, it's a chilly morning out in California. Pretty unlikely for us a bit of rain, but it's good, man. Just uh, staying busy. Now, California is a big state. So what what part what, what part is uh what part is uh are you located at? I'm in Southern California in Orange County, uh, about five miles from Disneyland. Oh, gee, yeah, yeah. You complain about cold. Uh, by the way, this, as we discussed at the last show, we're basically just old people now. So <laughs> we just talked about the weather on this show for like the first, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. And and it was a balmy like six degrees here in Omaha this morning. <laughs> so I don't really know I, when you say it's cold in Orange County, but it it was, and I was just like, hey, let's walk the kid to school. And my wife is yelling out the door like, what are you doing? It's six degrees. You could probably drive her today. Yeah, you know, Southern California is a special place. It, once it get, hits like the 50s, low 50s here, people freak out, bust out the puffers and start, you know, accessorizing with all the underlayers and stuff. So it's about as cold as it gets, but, you know, it's nice. It's better than the like normal, you know, 80, 90 degrees of the summer. I always prefer cold weather. So that's just me. Maybe not six. That sounds kind of rough. Yeah, it's well, it'll. You know, three days ago it was like fifty. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes out. So Peter, you're you're over at now. Now you're at PS Design as well as Reform Studio. Which which do you send people to? Which which do you want to talk about? Like, where do people go to see your work today? A, a little bit of both. So there, it's interesting. Both projects. One kind of came from the other. So PS Design is my my practice, and which I've been running for about ten years or so, doing a lot of branding, identity, conferences. Um, some packaging, stuff like that. But Reform Studio is kind of the new initiative. I've partnered with a couple other creatives. And, you know, it's kind of more of an agency experience. You know, we kind of hit a, a spot where running like a, you know, one, two person team just couldn't handle some of the larger projects we were getting and, and the type of work we wanted to get. So Reform Studio, you know, helloreform.com is kind of where I drive everybody nowadays. And that's more of the work that I've been doing as of lately. How many people are involved with Reform Studio? Because I know the PS, the PS design, which I was more familiar with until recently, mm-hmm. was just you and, and like one other designer, and I, and I, and I think yep. someone else was involved. So, yeah, yeah, PS design is three people. You know, myself kind of running the show. You know, one designer and one copywriter, and then Reform Studio. Uh, there are three partners and about a network. You know, still pretty small, like six to seven contractors that we work with on a regular basis. So a few designers, developers, you know, an animator and kind of a full force, you know, like agency, small agency level. But yeah, about, I don't know, eight or nine, depending on the size of the project, we'll, we'll, we'll scale up and down as we see fit. Like what, what type of projects is you, is your, are you guys really looking to get? Because, I've you know, who's your idea yeah. over there? Uh, it's, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, it's always identity work and kind of elevated identity with a, a, a tinge of like European style, because that's kind of where like we're very international design uh, focused. And we don't, Southern California is known for a particular thing, even though there's plenty of good design studios. But when some people think of SoCal, you know, they're known for like action sports or, or the entertainment industry. And that's not really what we do. We have clients that are in the furniture business. You know, we, we do work with Steelcase. We do product focused things, you know, like rebrands. We did some work for Capital Group, which is like a big financial company. Um, Interestingly enough, with their development teams, internal campaigns to kind of, you know, help them build culture and 
uh, kind of bring together all of these kind of silo developer teams around the world. But yeah, the work varies. It's hard to say because as long as the parameters are there and the work is interesting and there's a problem to be solved, I think we're open to working with any industry. Myself, personally, I always love a physical component if that's possible, um, if there's packaging involved or you know, some sort of print media, but most of our work probably skews digital anyways. You know, we do a lot of user interface and website design. Uh, we recently did a, a website design for Jimmy Butler, his big face brand. So we, we worked with Brandmonger, who was the design studio, and we built that the kind of online experience for them, which is a coffee slash lifestyle company. So I don't know, it's kind of all over the map. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to pigeonhole myself into one particular industry or client. You know, some sometimes people do, and and but sometimes this is a this is a huge industry, so it's it's fun yeah. to kind of jump around a little bit. Yeah, and it's interesting in PS design. You know, I have a history of doing a lot of like conference work and the developer like testing space. So a lot of these companies that that create online platforms for developers to test new software. You know, if Facebook wants to build out whatever new tool. You know, they would hire some of these companies to to work on their platform. And I've done I don't know. We've worked with six or seven of them over the years. We've done a lot of events for them. And that's kind of where I continue. You know, it's like I have a niche that I continue to work with. And, you know, it's kind of word of mouth. Somebody leaves there, goes to the next company and so on. And it's it's always interesting because obviously every company has different problems and different communication goals as far as branding goes. But doing projects in new industries with new clients that have very different requirements and different problems uh, just keeps you learning. And you know, you can take some of those insights and then apply them to the old type of work that you do. So I, yeah, I, I like a bit of both. You know, it's it's interesting to see kind of that software development stuff develop as I've worked on it over the years. But I love learning something else from, you know, over here somewhere and bringing it over to that space. I think there's always a misperception that, or I, from people not in the industry, that you kind of start doing something. And when you see it in 10 years, you're doing the same thing. And that is rarely the case because even the people I know yeah. that do the exact thing. Like when I said, oh, I'm doing the same projects. I got the same clients. I'm uh -huh. like, how we do it was completely different over yeah. time. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's, that's one way to do work. You know, I think everybody's journey is a little bit different. And, you know, like I said, most of I started in my studio 10 years ago in software development stuff and more than half my work is still in that space <laughs> but but you know like we're trying to kind of expand outside of it and, and do other things and the tools change everything changes the way design thinking changes so yeah it is it, absolutely even if you're doing the same thing in the same industry it's going to be completely different now with the tools you have available and you know the way the design trends and stuff move where do you where, where, what's the biggest trend you think uh it's going to affect what you're doing now, or do you see something coming up? And and and, and of course, I'm <laughs> telling you to predict the future, which I know is going to be 100% right. accurate. Yeah, well, you know, as the, the biggest buzzword kind of floating around, AI is all over the place, and, you know, it's coming for our jobs, and, you know, maybe that's the case. Uh, but I, I think it, some of these tools are just going to get a little bit more focused, you know. It's going to make designing stuff easier if you can get a big a bit of an assistance from AI. You know, we started using some of these kind of chat online writing AI tools to like start a proposal or, or like start a brief or something just to like get something down on the page. So there's a lot of interesting stuff kind of coming down. I think that's going to be one big one. Yeah, I don't know. You know, Adobe spent 
whatever 66 bill on, on, on Figma trying to, you know, buy that company. So everything's going to kind of move online. I, I think the future is not going to be a lot of native apps. I don't think you're going to be installing a lot of stuff on your computer and AI will, you know, play some part of it, whether it's like the algorithm in the back delivering whatever, you know, fonts it thinks you like, or, you know, images. I don't know. I'm not super jazzed about some of those, you know, developments. Who knows how it's going to turn out though, but generally technology is kind of moving in a, a good-ish direction. <laughs> I think it's interesting that the UCAI and the first thing you use it for is to basically, uh, you know, get off of a creative block. You're like, you're like, I got a creative yeah. brain freeze. What if I use this and it's going to be terrible, but at least it'll get me started. Exactly. It, it's some way to put something on the page. And it's not like it's spitting stuff out willy nilly, right? You kind of prompt it, you get it going in a direction. And, and then, you know, it's the way that I see it, it's kind of like, you know, getting a junior copywriter or something like you tell them a direction, they write something and then you, you know, come back to me and I rewrite it and, you know, kind of refine and everything. So it's going to be a time saving tool, just like 30, 40 years ago when things moved into the to the computer space, you know? People were like, what? You're not going to like draw stuff by hand and, you know, <laughs> you don't need all of those pencil skills and it's fine. You just draft a lot faster on the computer. It makes I makes a do, lot more sense. I did see somewhere online, someone pointed out there, like the, the, some of the technology has been in Adobe for years, like all that yeah. content aware fill. I think that that came out like 15 years ago and we just, I've just been using it, but nobody, I don't know if anybody ever really said, Hey, this is artificial intelligence, but it kind of is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the way that I see some of these tools being used, like for some small part, you know, you're not going to like spit out a whole, you know, brand platform on this thing and deliver it to the client. I, I think you're going to use it for certain tasks to kind of speed things up and improve your work because it's going to save you time that you can then dedicate to something else. Not to mention, you know, Adobe's got so many weird things floating around. Who knows what they're doing? It's like the epitome of bloat. I always complain. You know, over the past couple of years, we've kind of shifted a lot of our user interface work away from Adobe and into Sketch and then into Figma. It's like the bloat and the amount of stuff these things can do. I just pared down a little. <laughs> and and they, they found out that there was word out that Peter Peter is leaving us for Figma. We better just spend whatever amount of money it is to get him back. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure. I mean, I know people at Adobe, but I doubt they're paying attention to me and where I'm going. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to be right back. Hey, Peter, the reason I had you on the show, and I think, I think, let me see if I can tilt my monitor up to see my shelves, is, is way up here. I've got, I've got a robot you sent me on a, on a, on a wood, a few, you know, a number of years ago, and I got these little pencil box things up here. Yeah. But, but over the years, PS Design, I think, has created some of the best self-promotional pieces and things that I actually kept, which, which is also amazing, as, as you see. So what do you think makes a successful self-promotional piece to mail out and why, and, and why would you continue to do so? So I would say one of the first criteria is that people actually keep it. And you have no idea how happy that makes me when I see people actually keep some of the stuff that I make over the years. You know, um, the, the idea behind all of these things, you know, I, I started making these because most of my work was digital and I wanted to make something physical and, and something that's not quite as ephemeral and easy to get, not to get rid of, you know, something you would want to keep. Something first that piques interest, that's surprising 
that hopefully delivers a message of some sort, even if it's just say like, hey, you know, I like you. I remember you. Like, here's the thing. You know, I made something and I want you to see it. And delivering it in, in some sort of an interesting package. At the time, I was doing a ton of user interface, lots of iOS apps and, and other, you know, kind of digital identities and stuff. And I really wanted to, for me, it came from a wanting to just work in packaging more and explore forms and kind of play around with physical shapes and paper and you know get back to some of that stuff that I learned back in school. And the very first one that I think I did was a little type thing called the love of type, which is these you know tiny little cubes. And it was just kind of a packaging exercise of how I can control the messaging on this little box. How can I get this to you in an interesting fashion to surprise you to deliver a message in an interesting way and hopefully to keep it. And inside of each one of these, you know, there's a little tear strip, you kind of open it up, you know, great for podcasting, visual aids, but you know, here's, you know, you get a little Christmas ornament. And at the time I was obsessed with lettering and ampersands as, you know, most designers go through that phase at some point. And I, you know, like we had these, these little ornaments custom made and, you know, people would send us photos on their Christmas tree and stuff. And at least for that season, it created something memorable for them to hold on to. And then hopefully over you know, a long period of time, like you, you, you kept them. Other ones like those little robots, again, you know, this one has a bit more of a message. This was like after the well, 2016 well, be, election. Before, system. We, <laughs> before, we, before we move to the robots, I want to finish the uh, ornaments you have. The box mm -hmm. that, that he's holding up was actually, the thing was, is one of the tear strip, you actually had to destroy the box. Yes, so, exactly. <laughs> so I remember I remember receiving one and immediately I looked at it and I'm like, oh man, like this is not going back together, which is kind of great. But it's also yeah. like you have to remember to take a photo before you destroy it if you want to share it. Exactly. Like, and that feeling of something ephemeral, that project in particular, that was the idea because it was a little bit of poking fun at like gifts in general or you know, postcards or any sort of print media that you send to somebody, everything's ephemeral, inevitably, you know, like you're either going to chuck it if you don't care for it, or hopefully you'll keep it for a while. And then in some spring cleaning, you'll get rid of it. But in this one, it was more intentional. You literally had to rip the thing open. There was no saving it. But again, it delivered part of the message. So, you know, happy that, you know, all the type that goes around it, holidays. So as you tear it open, it delivers the message, it does its job. And then you get this, you know, kind of, opening up experience. It was all about the experience and the, you know, kind of cadence of how you, how you open this guy up. Yeah. And that, and I think that was what, what made that one exciting. And that, now, now, now we can move on to the robot if you want to talk about it. Sure. Um, I think this is probably, that was next year, the year after that, it was 2016. And each one of these, you know, I can kind of describe what the, the project was. We designed these kind of vintage 50s feeling robots that were laser cut out of like eighth inch ply screen printed initially laser cut and then flat shipped so that was part of it it was easy to ship them inside of a mailer fancy mailer but it yeah was, i know, found i found every time <laughs> i started any sort of self-promotion if i was going to mail it i'd immediately uh -huh. start brainstorming how much is postage going to cost mm -hmm. and so exactly because it's, you know, it's inherent waste and I would rather invest whatever that money is. You know, I love supporting the USPS, but I'd rather invest it in the project or like send something right. to you and cut down on weight and, you know, packaging trash and all of that type of stuff. So, yeah, 
flat pack. And again, there was an experience to it because each one of these pieces, because it was flat chipped, each one of these little guys come, you know, apart. So it's a little bit of a 3D puzzle piece. We created three of these little robots. And um, yeah, you know, we basically prompted people to build them with a, with a little message after that election and that crazy like political cycle of just, you know, the concept was, you know, build a bot, don't become a bot. And it was kind of poking at this idea of like these self-contained opinion bubbles that, that kind of happen. You know, people surround themselves with people that say the same stuff as they do. They don't kind of look outside the box. And I, I found that very robotic. So it was a fun thing to, you know, deliver a little bit of a inspired message at the time. But, I, you know, I think most people just love the little robots and yeah, watching I think the, the other, kids play with them. The other fun thing between that and the other one is if you follow, if you, when you went and looked up online, you saw that there are more of them because you just randomly got mm -hmm. one of them. And so mm -hmm. it was fun to be like, oh, there's more than one. Mine looks yeah. good. The other ones are cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I like doing things in a series. You know, I think the ornaments, there was like five or six. The, there was like three different robots that we ended up doing. There's something about a series, at least three, that makes it feel like a bigger project. And it makes you, once you get down a train of thought, that you can, you can explore it, whether it's like visual or conceptual. You know, in this case, it's just like drawing robots and then, you know, laser cutting them or whatever. But it, it lets you explore in that direction and kind of continue down the path. So you take it a little bit further. You're like, well, you know, this guy looks a little like Wally or the short circuit guy. Johnny Five? I want to say Johnny Five. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Uh, I saw it in the 80. theater. I'm, I, I <laughs> there was like, there was like five years during that span where my older sister worked at the movie theater and we went to like everything that came out. Nice. As a family. Love that movie. So, <laughs> That's so, amazing. So that whole era, if you mention a movie, I'm like, I probably saw it in the theater on, on its initial run. Yes, classic. Uh, short Circuit. I, I think the first time I watched it was like in my junior high electronics class or something. And my teacher played it for us. I was like, oh, this is so fun. But yeah, that's where the inspiration for that came. So it's just fun to do things in a series. And it also, again, there's that surprise of like people, you know, like, oh, there's more of these. I always thought and was inspired to somehow monetize these things after I produce them which never really occur because just get busy and you move on to something else but i'm like i'm gonna open up a shop and sell some of these ornaments and things and i think i did it for one year and you know set, set, sold like you know 50 or 60 and kind of called it a day making a series of like three or four items is a lot of work and then but you have to have a lot of items to run a shop exactly and you know we produce a decent amount it's not like i'm making these things myself one of the years, I, most of the time, for example, the this first holiday uh, promo for prototyping, you know, I purchased the plotter and, I, you know, I ended up doing a lot of like die cuts at home just to test out the like packaging forms. But whenever it comes to production, you know, we'll partner with like a local shop or somebody that does these things, you know, we'll do a, a run of like two or 300 of them. And then half of them will stay in my garage and kind of gather dust. The other half will be delivered to people and, you know, hopefully make an impact and they'll keep them you know for a while but <laughs> so what's the craziest idea you guys came up with where when you that once you got the bid for it you're like we can't do it is there is there is there uh, one project where you're like man if i had all the money that's what we would have done because yeah. you did some you've done some complex stuff that is for self-promotion that's pretty crazy so i want to hear what you don't come up with an yeah. idea that big without knowing one even bigger that's what i found yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely, there's one that I've been kind of mulling around. There's a few. There was one I, I really wanted to do, like, 
custom poured chocolate in different like type forms. So design a you know typeface, do a custom poured chocolate bar with this like crazy package or whatever. That's not really that crazy looking back on it now. Like you can make you know those uh, silicon molds. I could probably pour it myself. But at the time, it seemed epic. The idea that I've never quite figured out how to make work was, you know, and it's not totally flushed out concept either. So it's something to do with permanence and design. And there's just like, it's fleeting. Again, even even the best brands will last for a while. They'll be refreshed and maybe your Coke and you get to keep it, you know, your brand for a hundred years or whatever. But I really wanted to create some sort of object and then pour concrete outside of it and then have people crack it open. Like when they get to it, you know, just have a little pin and a little hammer and smash it. And then you get the thing revealed inside. And again, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, permanence and the lack of thereof and, and design in general. But, at, you know, between shipping weights and trying to chip hammers and, you know, because I, I like making these things fully self-enclosed. I don't want to ask the user, the people experiencing it to be like, let me go dig up this thing from my garage or, you know, it's like, that's too much work. I want it like to be a, you know, self-enclosed experience. And I, I think... One of the ones that, I don't know if you ever received this, but this is probably one of the ones that I enjoyed the most, which is called the Fika package. And this this guy was based on my wife and I visited Sweden. And Fika is this concept of, you know, like if you're familiar with British tea time. And it's really a time in the afternoon for people to like socialize, stop working, chill out, and then just like either in... in in Sweden, it's about coffee and pastries, which very much appealed to me. You know, anytime I travel, you seek out all the fancy coffee shops. Oh, there. sure. And, and and that's what Fika is. You know, instead of saying like, hey, let's go get tea and crumpets, you know, and, and they're like, let's go Fika. So it's even in, yeah, I did a bit of research and it's like even Volvo, they'll like shut down in the afternoon. I'm like, no, 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 it's Fika time. Like everything stops. we got to chill out. They take, those Scandinavians take their relaxation very seriously which really kind of like stuck out to me as something really special coming from the US and originally from Eastern Europe, but like both kind of a little bit of workaholic cultures as far as, you know, corporate American stuff goes, which, which is always a bit of a, a, a bummer. And like seeing this other perspective on like, yes, you can relax and you can take your time and everything. So I basically created this box that's a self-enclosed like FICA package, you know, and on the cover, there's this is a, like a metallic kind of pearlescent ink. And the idea with this type is that you're going to extend, you know, take more time for yourself. You're going to extend those typefaces, those characters. And then inside, when you pop that open, there were these little canisters. And each one of them contained cookies and coffee and a candle. And really setting people up to experience Fika and to just go out and, like, take a break and, like, hang out with somebody. And again, it goes back to that, like wanting to create a moment for somebody. I think that's why a lot of the promos that we've done over the years have been memorable because you get an item, something that, that also has a memorable experience attached to it. That, that one might be the last one that I saw in person of yours. And, mm -hmm. and w when it showed up, First off, when I when I, I was like I was like this is going to win all the awards and it deserves all of them, and then when I saw it in award you. annuals, I realized I was like, Peter spent some time taking these photos because this is like a black packaging with like black, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, 
if if you go to your web, if you go to if you go to Peter's websites and you find it, taking that photo is was could not have been easy. Yeah, and it wasn't me taking them. At some point, I started hiring like an actual photographer to do these okay. shoots, and es- especially when it comes down to something really difficult like that, black on black on black, and. I really wanted it to be very look serious and austere, like in kind of Scandinavian tradition, (laughs) but uh, very minimal. But yeah, doing photography on an all black box on a black background with black pearlescent ink is a challenge. And, you know, I took, I don't know what the studio was, but like, I remember talking to the photographer at the time and he had like some crazy, you know, $30,000 camera and we were just doing all sorts of like bounce lighting and I'm sitting there holding cards and stuff because it's really difficult like to get those levels to come across and especially some of the shots on the inside. So one of the other things I love to do is I like to sneak in more design when it's just not expected. So, you know, most of the outside of the box is very subdued. It's just black cardstock, Nina or whatever. But the inside is where I like to do, it's just like a fancy shirt. You know, you have a fancy dress shirt, it's all white. And then it's like, oh, you have like the fancy, like you just get a little peek in here. I like a subtle little touch. And I always enjoy doing that in my work. On that one, I don't, I I sadly do not drink coffee. I might, I might be the only designer in America. Are you, do you like tea? Do you, any other preferences? Tea, tea is fine, you know, but because okay. I get my caffeine from that or soda, but but I, I I just I just I just don't drink coffee. But that piece, I'm like, wow, he I realized everything in there was meant to be consumed and, and yep. recycled or thrown away. But it's so hard to remove it because the piece was so well done. But on that one, I, I believe I was teaching a, a night class this last year. I switched to teaching full time. But I actually mm-hmm. brought that into class to show them, and then I and then gave it to one of my students who, because they were, you show that to a, a class of students, and they were just like mesmerized, because <laughs> because oh. you see things in books, but until you see that sort of printing, and you know papers high quality, printing's high quality, designs high quality, like you don't you don't see it in person as, enough. Yeah, and that's one of the other kind of challenges because most of these pieces are physical. They're meant to be experienced physically. Uh, Translating it to an online portfolio or any sort of like digital media is always tough. You know, I storyboard every single shot, plan out how the page is going to look, how to crop all of these things and then figure out lighting and everything. But it's never going to relay the same feeling as like actually touching the paper actually looking at those inks and seeing how the light bounces and like your space and it's a it's a challenge but you know you kind of have to do it because you can't ship one of these things out to everybody out in the world you know like you kind of make your list and you, and you send them out but yeah that's always the last step and that's one of the ones that i struggle with not only from you know, like, oh, it's hard to like take a photo of, but like, how do you plan out to communicate in, in the reality that most people probably don't spend a ton of time on my site reading through the concepts or whatever. No, no, no. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, how do you, how do you try to distill that down visually when you're talking about a media that's meant to be experienced physically over just, you know, you know, Instagram or social media or a website, whatever. It's uh yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> I'm never say, gonna communicate it right. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna say the last four ad shows I've judged, and I judged two of them this year. 
um, or it was the Addies, but now the American Advertising Awards or whatever. The the best of show I gave a couple of years ago to one because they were all they've all been virtual. The ones I've judged in the mm-hmm. last the last four have all been virtual, and yeah. the one best of show I was like this PDF looks. I mean, you're judging PDFs now, right? Yeah. And so it yep. is that thing. And every now and then you see a photo as well. But the one of them, they had the the crazy print techniques and and the thing. It was like the thing flipped over and it opened differently on both sides. And they shot a video, and yeah. it, just like a two minute video to tell the judges and 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 it made a difference. I was I think I gave that one a judge's choice because I'm like once, but I'm like if I would have seen it in person, I would have seen that. But even well, it, it, I'm like I don't get it. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's obviously a better way to if you're talking about a multi-piece project like that. And a, a lot of you know when I display my work, we'll we'll shoot video, we'll do like little animations. You'll see the bots being put together or something like that because it's just a way faster way to deliver all of those steps and that information. You potentially get to see somebody interacting with it, you know, like if somebody's hands are in it or whatever. So I think there's it's easier to understand what the project is if you just video it. And obviously most of the work, like if you go to a reform site, everything like it's in our reel, you know, it's a video reel. That's I think for most people experience our portfolio, that's the way they're going to do it instead of like going through meticulously and reading stuff and blah, blah, blah. It's like now condense it down to like a minute, minute and a half, put some cool music on it. And you try to quickly sizzle through all of the, the good stuff that you do if somebody really cares to actually work with you, they'll look into it afterwards. But initially, you have to make that impact very quickly. Video is a great way to do it. You know, if you want to develop a custom site where you build things on there, you know, through, um, you know, HTML5 and, and JavaScript and stuff, maybe you put together the bots digitally. It's not the same, but it's it's another way to do it. You know, like you're trying to communicate uh, communicate something similar through a different medium, and that can be really powerful too. It's just it's different. It's different, so. Okay, well, we're going to be right back with Peter. Peter, we have one more segment. What, first off, what, what advice do you have for any uh, students that want to get into branding now? Get your hands dirty and start thinking systematically about it. Uh, you know, obviously learn a lot of the new tools, but it's it always comes down to, you know, a brand is, is a way of communicating and of, of storytelling. So whenever we design a brand, it's always with the, some sort of base concept and trying to tell some interesting story, trying to figure out what's at the core of that company. So make sure you communicate well with your clients. The, the tools, what tool you're using is a little bit irrelevant. They're going to continue changing no matter what. Uh, but the thinking and the problem solving and seeing problems in new mediums, I, I think, is a really powerful thing that um, you know, new, new students should, should explore. And, and and should they also just have AI just write their resume? Is that is that going to be good, or should they probably wait <laughs> wait for some posts to get kicked out of this? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I haven't like read a resume in so long. I don't know if I'd be able to tell the difference. To be honest, I don't. You know, I look at portfolios. You know, I do a lot of portfolio reviews around here with students, and whenever we bring on any new designers, so like resume is a little bit irrelevant to me. If you can <laughs> create. Uh, a good portfolio. I can look at your work and you can talk about it, explain it to me and figure out why it was a good solution for whatever it is you're doing. But sure, if you want to use it as a good starter, you know, have at it. <laughs> yeah. Might want to Just check its accuracy. I don't, yeah, I don't exactly. know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. What, 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 uh, what makes, what's like the best 
thing for a student to think about when they put together their portfolio? Like what, what is the one thing, maybe one of the last ones you looked at that you're like, did not expect that, that, that makes it good. Well, yeah, that's, that's another good question. I, I think it's going to come down to a lot, like who you're showing your portfolio to. Whenever I was actually going out for jobs and stuff, I would actually change up my portfolio depending on the company I was interviewing with. So really being considerate and, and thinking through, you know, what is this company that I'm, you know, attempting to work with? What is the type of work they do? How do I cater my work it, to make it relevant to what they do? Because at the end of the day, you're going to be serving a function there. And depending on their clientele and the type of work you do or the type of work they do, they are going to need you for something. So I would try to show that thing. You know, if you're going to go work at a web design company, make sure you have a lot of websites in there. <laughs> you know, just thinking about that stuff. And then throw in a few surprises, um, showing some variety and, and flexibility of thinking around different types of projects. So even if it's a web design company, they might need some logo design or some packaging here and there. So a bit of variety and a bit of surprise is, again, something that just like any sort of like good promo, I always used that's the way I thought about these promos, just like my portfolio. You want to have an experience. So somebody going through this, you want them to, to be surprised, to be interested in what you're showing them. And one of my professors back in school always described the portfolios, the designers, like magic bag of tricks. You know, you're trying to pull all these things out. You're like, look at what I can do. Look at this thing. Look at that thing. And that's how it should be. Don't make it drag too long. You know, try to keep it succinct. And, uh, yeah, try to present work that's relevant to the to the company you're you're interviewing with. How many how many pieces do you recommend they show? Between six and ten. I would never go past ten, and really focus. And, and if they're broad, the broader the better. Meaning, like if it's a if you're talking about branding, a more flushed out brand. Even if you're just showing a few of them, but they have a lot of pieces that show the system being applied over different types of media, figuring out how that systematic approach goes. That is much more powerful than showing, you know, three weak, shallow brands in its place with just like a logo and a business card and mock-up and stuff. So the more flushed out, the better. And just highlight the best work. You know, I wouldn't try to stuff as much stuff as possible in there if you don't have to. Show your best stuff. No, that's all fair. All right. Well, Peter, we want to thank you. For your time and and what's what's the what's reform got going on right now the uh the reform studio it's reformstudio.com no reformstudio.com we could not get that url unfortunately that oh, is don't go there don't go studio. there don't, don't go there <laughs> i know uh it's hello reform.com so, hello reform hello reform.com that's where you go that's the place okay. there you go yeah so hello reform we're doing some work with steel case right now on their um esg uh, in you know kind of internal brands that's not ready to show but you know some interesting stuff with big face coffee user interface and then our own promo for reform studio so you know one of my dreams as always was to create these you know wooden little blocks for oh reform how studio. fun are those yeah exactly i was always a big fan of um uncle goose and house industries that i have a set of them and you know reform studio is all about branding rebranding and reformation Hence, the brand is built on these little blocks. So it, it ties into the brand identity of the studio. And you'll notice that each one of these has a custom-made little glyph 
that basically breaks apart each one of the actual characters of Reform Studio. And again, it goes back to that idea of reforming, rebranding, and, and our whole identity is built around it. And finally, I got to create these little blocks, ship them in a cool box, and these will be you know, shipping out soon-ish whenever we get around to it. But lifelong dream, wooden blocks. <laughs> That's fantastic. Those are fantastic. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab. Thank you.